Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. How do you feel about change? I'm talking about habits and and problematic behavior, things that that trip us up and, and cause us to stumble over and over. Do you embrace change? Do you resist it? Um, you know, even if we like risk and we like challenges, it's that internal change. It's, it's the heart, it's the mind, it's the emotions that I think usually are the most difficult for us to face. So, so we need advice, we, we need counsel, we need guidance, and, and really, it, it comes from everywhere. But boy, do we want it to be simple and easy. Well, here, here's one such example of a, a psychiatrist trying to help a woman who has a fear of change. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? 
Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. You're there. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. <laughs> change were that simple, just, just two words. You know, we know the problem is that we, we don't live in a bubble. There's things all around us that place enormous stress and strain on our lives, and they interfere with what we want to accomplish day in and day out. And that certainly in, includes the change that we want to make in our lives. And it's certainly true following something like COVID-19 and, and the aftermath that just remains. Well, the scripture that Tim read from Colossians 3 was really, it was written in a time like today, in a time of confusion, anxiety, difficulty. And what they needed then was, was to change. And, in, and really, there was a demand for change. Well, how did that early church survive during those very trying times? And not just survived, they, they thrived. Well, in these seasons, when God challenges us with these kind of words from Colossians 3, and I, and I hope we're always challenged when we read Colossians 3, we need to ask this question. We need to ask, what is Jesus trying to change in me right now? Well, we need to own that theme and that question our entire life. You see, if we want to see stability in the world around us, then we must allow the Lord to search us and impart stability within us. And that is Colossians 3 that Tim just read. Now it's true, I know, we, we want those really easy steps to follow. Seven easy steps to a healthy marriage. Three bold moves to better health. Or two words like Bob Hart just suggested. The good news is that's exactly what we're going to find here in Colossians 3, clear and very simple steps to putting on our new self and how to exercise godliness. It's, it's right here. Nevertheless, we know people only change as much as they're, they're willing to change. And we also know from the scriptures that prophetic promises remained unfulfilled over people's lives when they didn't join God in the transformation process. That's like owning a gym membership and never going to the gym. But, but this, is, this is the moment where God shapes lives right now during difficulty, pain, heartache, anxiety. This is the moment where God works in the hearts of people to change the world around us. There's a saying that I, I like. I've, I heard this many years ago and it, it was brought back to me several months ago. It's attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, and a Chinese proverb, so who knows what the origin truly is. And it goes like this. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And we know there is a lot of cursing the darkness in our world right now, and that is not Colossians 3. That's not how we exercise godliness. In this day and age, God wants to raise up people who are lights, not complainers who find fault with others and everything that surrounds them, not combatants who take to Facebook and social media and is filled with hatred and slander. No, God wants to raise up lights, 
co-laborers for his kingdom. So, so here are the very simple steps that God wants us to take to transform us, to change us, and ultimately to exercise godliness in these very challenging times. The first thing that we learn in Paul's words is we need to focus on the right things and not the wrong things. And, you know, just hearing that and reading that, it's like, oh, man, that is so, so simple, right? Almost as simple as just stop it. But the question is, why then do we always get fooled? And, you know, you can put the next slide up. You know, throughout time, there have been many, many simple fads that have captivated the masses. Now, in the 1800s, it was all those elixirs and Dr. So-and-so's formula. And these are more maybe in our time. You know, it's very simple things, 10 minutes a day, but they always focus on the wrong thing. It might be the right part of the body we're trying to attend to, but the method is always wrong. Thank you, Neil. God's word tells us, and, and Tim read this, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, perhaps the most important part of those two verses is, is this phrase, where Christ is. See, our lives reflect what we pursue. We know that. And, and what we put into our lives. And so Paul, writing from a Roman prison in a murky political system, simply addressed the very first step we must take. And if we're going to be the light that God called us to be, that new work of God in this very dark world, it requires us to make different choices. And we need to look at, we need to really look at what's making an imprint on our lives right now. We need to look at what we're allowing our hearts to be drawn to. That's why he says two times, set your heart, set your mind. And he's saying the same thing. The, the idea of the heart, our understanding, our will, all of those emotions, set these on things above. And here it is, where Christ is. Because that's where God is going to transform us. Make no mistake about it, we know this, that God allows us to determine what our heart will pursue and what will ultimately make an imprint on the very core of our being. I don't know why my phone does this every week. Maybe it's just all of our phones. But every Sunday at 9 o'clock, it tells me what my usage was the week before. And it congratulates me. Wow, your usage, Robert, was down 6%, only 11 hours and 11 minutes per day. <laughs> I don't know. I'm convicted because if you're like me, I'm not working 11 hours, 11 days on my phone. There's a lot of inane things and distractions that I'm pulled towards. It's a lot of waste of time. So in the midst of darkness and chaos and trouble and, and the inane and the mundane, Paul tells us, hey, set your hearts on heaven's virtues, on things above. We get to determine what's most important in a life. So it's either going to be the agenda of this world, 11 hours, 11 minutes, or, or it's going to be God's agenda and will for our lives. And I think Paul is asking that really important question here. We, we, we need to recognize the battle will always be there. We know that. There's, always, there's a way that we're going to be a light, and there's a way that we're going to curse the darkness. But we have to also understand we cannot live in the spirit of this world 
and change the spirit of this world. We cannot breathe in all this chaos that surrounds us and hope then to live in God's presence tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. We have to live within, soak in the spirit of God, things above, where Christ is. Or as our pastor has reminded us often, we need to be in position to hear the Holy Spirit in order to say yes to the Spirit. It's a paradox, right? And we have to figure this out. On the one hand, Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. We know that. And in Galatians 1.4, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present world. Jesus reached the present world from beyond the world, from above. And friends, that, that's the only way that we're going to reach the present world for the kingdom of God, by stepping beyond this world to things above. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we know that we need to step beyond this world to reach the world for the gospel, and yet look at it from the other side. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, Father, do not take them out of this world. Matthew 28, we're commanded to go into the world. And 1 John 4.17 reminds us to live like Christ in the present world. So how do we resolve this paradox? The only way to reach the present world is to go beyond the world to where Christ is. Yet I'm commanded to go into the world to be Christ in this world. And, but, but you know what? It's really simple. It's, it's very much just as simple as Bob Newart's advice. Our internal lives, our heart, our mind, our emotion, our soul must live, must respond, must focus and attend to God's will for our life, his agenda, while our physical bodies, our lives interact here in this temporary home. That's it. But, but there's a hook, there's a condition, right? And here it is, and this is the most difficult part in our, in our walk with Christ, is to always, always follow Jesus in all journeys of our life, to go where Christ is at all times. Consider two examples I'm going to give you from the scriptures. Uh, Mark and Demas. Mark and Demas. Here at the end of this letter to the Colossians, Colossians 4.14, Paul gives his farewell salutations and greetings. He says, Luke greets you, as does Demas. Now, this is very common. You're going to read a lot of letters from Paul in the New Testament, and, and he does this often, sending greetings to people. And, and I guess we just assume that if he's sending greetings to people, that these individuals must be doing great. I don't spend a lot of time searching the scriptures to see how they turned out or what happened to their life. But for example, Luke greets you. Well, Luke, we know what happened to Luke. He ended up writing the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. He's the beloved Dr. Luke, as, as um, Paul writes. And he goes off to do great things for the kingdom. But, but what about Demas? Well, we, we really don't know, to be honest. All we know is that uh, there are words from Paul, some of his last words, right before his execution, and they expressed heartbreak over Demas. 2 Timothy 2, 4, 10 says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Again, we don't know. Maybe Demas feared uh, being executed uh, and then fled 
Paul for safety, or maybe he succumbed to immorality, or maybe he simply caved into the relentless temptation to a more comfortable, prosperous life in Thessalonica. Whatever it was, Paul saw it as embracing the world, not exercising godliness, not pursuing things above. And then just a few sentences later, to this same letter Paul wrote to Timothy, he says this, get Mark, we're looking at Demas and Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, remember Mark, he was the first to desert the team. Back in the early days, during their early missionary trips, Paul and Barnabas, Mark just took off and and left and deserted them and went home. Barnabas wanted to bring him back, and, and Paul wanted nothing to do with that. But here, at the end of Paul's life, Mark is fully reconciled, fully trusted by Paul, and he writes very useful in the gospel ministry. So we have Demas and Mark, and they serve as contrasts. One provides a word of warning, the other provides hope, a word of hope. And as people who stumble, boy, we need both. We need the warning and we need hope. Demas began well. Four or five years earlier, during another imprisonment, Paul refers to Demas two times as a fellow worker in the gospel. There was a time, apparently, when Demas chose very well, sought the things above where Christ was. But it doesn't appear that he ended very well. Having once fought alongside Paul in the kingdom battles, he, he seems to now have sided with the enemy and deserted the cause. And this, this is the word of warning because even strong leaders like Demas are susceptible to deception. Demas did not exercise godliness. He did not keep his eyes on the right things. Mark, on the other hand, gives us hope. He had a weak, a very weak start. He didn't appear to have the right stuff, and he really disappointed his leaders and his friends by leaving them to bear the heat of the battle, and he ended up going home. But he ended well because at some point he rejoined the battle, proved faithful, trusted. He was a servant. Exercising godliness requires us to focus on what matters most, to go where Christ is. Paul knew what he was talking about here because he watched, he watched co-laborers fall. Our battle never stops. I have to give priority to my walk with God. It has to be the most important thing above all. During times of heartache and pain, joy and challenges, youth and old age, I need to learn to follow Jesus. I need to learn what that looks like every season of my life. And no matter what the situation or circumstances, the solution is to set our hearts and minds on things above. Focus on God's will, God's promises, and God's commands over our life. Now, Paul makes a shift here in Colossians 3 because now we know this is a journey over time. It's a race worth running. We all agree with that. But we still need to strategize if we're going to go into this transformation process. So Paul says here that we also need to deal with our issues. We just cannot ignore them. It is so much easier to ignore things that plague us and hurt us and harm us. So my translation reads this way in verse 5, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs 
to your earthly nature. Put to death. If I'm going to grow and become the person God calls me to be, I have to deal with my issues. But the problem fundamentally, I think this goes for all of us on our journey, is we struggle with self-scouting, self-evaluating our lives. We don't take an honest look at ourselves all the time. Because the truth of the matter is it's just so much easier to compartmentalize our lives. This is my spiritual life. This is my work life. This is my family life. Here's where I store all my money, and these worlds never get to intersect with each other. And when that's true, then what we believe and what we value and who we honor never intersect, never interact, and that ultimately affects the person we're called to be. But Paul will not allow the Colossians to do this. He's calling them to address the compartmentalizing of their lives. I think we would all agree that personal growth begins when the Holy Spirit convicts us. So we need to know the things in our life that undermine us or keep us from being salt and light in the world. Because hoping for change never brings change. Only obedience will. Only making those first steps. I think this is why Paul is telling us Being aware of your issues is just one thing, but actually doing something about it and dealing with our issues is altogether different. If we're going to exercise godliness, then we must be ruthless in removing anything that undermines our pursuit of God. And I love how he phrases it, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's a strong and ruthless statement about dealing with our issues. And of course, we need to join God in this transformation process. And there it is, by putting to death these things. So Paul now unpacks two forces that undermine our pursuit of God, right here in Colossians 3. The the first is this this listing of lust, evil desires, and greed. And I'll call these, you know, just unbridled desires and passions. He lists them for us. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You go back in history, I love history, and you research any political scandal, any act of infidelity or corporate corruption, and you will find unbridled desires and passions. As believers, we know this to be true. Our passions are not meant to rule us. Christ is meant to rule our passions. And the desires of my life are meant to be shaped by my walk with Jesus where Christ is. So I cannot compartmentalize my life. I must constantly do this self-scouting, self-evaluating. How am I doing here? Am I listening to the Spirit? Am I saying yes to the Spirit? Or am I walking the other way and being pulled and dragged away by unbridled desires and passions? Paul doesn't stop here because the other thing that undermines our, our pursuit of living a godly life is uncontrolled anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying to each other. Because you will never find forgiveness or godliness living here. This is not where Christ is. It's not that, you know, Christ isn't... It's not that Christ can't be found in Facebook. There there are some wonderful godly passages and things happening there. But where you find malice and anger and lying, you will not find Christ. It just pushes him out. These are the spirits of the world. So, so what's the challenge? We, well, we've got to allow 
God to rule over even the interior of our life. You know, we, we all have welcomed the Lord into our life to make our path straight. And, and we say, hallelujah, that he's also the Lord of my salvation. But we also have to welcome him in to be the Lord of my internal drive, my motivations, my emotions, and most certainly my desires and passions. Why, why is Paul writing these things? Because he knows we get to choose if we're going to live out our new self or we're going to go back to our old nature. And he knows from experience, if you want to find stability in this world around you, then you better allow God to impart stability inside you. So I think we need to constantly be asking ourselves, what is my interior battle? What are those forces that undermine my pursuit of God? Is it gossip, money, lust, fame, control? Is it, is it, my, is it my family that I idolize? Is that wrong? Is it being liked, the desire to be liked and accepted or right and perfect? Could I settle for a B or C in my academic class if it meant furthering the kingdom of God? Is my child's future or happiness more important than the kingdom of heaven? How do I handle being cheated or wronged? Do I demand justice? And is justice more important than forgiveness? And this is just a small list of questions that we can ask ourselves. So these things will pull us down and cause us to curse the darkness. So Paul's trying to impart these very simple steps to exercise godliness and to put on a new self. Set your mind on things above. Deal with the issues in your life and be ruthless in removing them. Be careful to recognize them and tear apart the unbridled desires and passions in your life. Take control of anger, uncontrolled anger. The third thing that Paul is going to do for us here in Colossians 3, he's going to move on and tell us that we must practice new ways of responding. Again, a very simple step. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Forgive as the Lord has forgave. Now these, these are absolutely things above. This is living practically and allowing God's word to do its holy work within us, to literally change our lives. Now, as you read that list, I think we have to ask, are, are these things on my desired list of who I want to become? Do I desire these for my life? Do I long for these? And I think if we're being honest, the answer is no. I struggle with these. I'm not always compassionate. I don't always lead with kindness. I get caught up in pride and I'm not always humble. I'm not always gentle. I demand my own way sometimes. Patience, I've struggled with my whole life, which causes me not to be forgiving. We, we constantly have to be evaluating how we're doing here to pursue godliness. Paul's changing the tone of how we address things. But for sure, when you look at this list, doesn't it look a lot more like the cross than the day of judgment? It looks a whole lot more like uh, John 3.17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the world might be saved through him. This is what God's called us to be, to put on our new self, 
a far superior new self because all these actions are just, they're just not natural. Paul tells us that this new self is not something that's just static. It's, it's not just there, but it's literally living inside of us, full of life and full of God's presence. But we have to exercise it. We have to practice this new way of living. And the more that we do, the more that we experience a richer sense of who God is and what his meaning is for our life. It's just a richer, blessed life. Our spiritual life is not measured by the number of spiritual experiences that we have. It's measured by how we allow those spiritual experiences to truly change us. Now, we can. We, We are allowed to compartmental our lives, but God wants all of these spiritual experiences to interact in our everyday life. So just take one of these, for example, like compassion. Just think about compassion and the current and recent political divide of this nation, just as one example. People are just vilifying, degrading, dehumanizing each other on this one topic. And we know that's not going to change the world. That is just cursing at the darkness. But you take compassion as God commanded, especially for believers, you take compassion, that can create change. When we put on this deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of other people. And we need that connection. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. He led with kindness and gentleness and patience, not this sense of dehumanizing, degrading, and, and being rude to other people. I mean, ultimately, we know Bob Newhart was wrong. He was wrong. It's not that simple. And the Bible has our answer. If we can just focus on Christ, if we want to get rid of our our old self, and and I hope that's our desire, then we have to learn new ways of responding and practice those, not just stopping old habits, but learning new ways to live and breathe where Christ is. That's how we grow and change. Jesus called us to be perfect. To be perfect as God in heaven is perfect. That is so hard for me to reconcile in my mind. So the best way that I know to translate it from others is this. There must be no limit to your goodness as your heavenly Father knows no bounds. Okay. No limit to our goodness as our heavenly Father knows no bounds. Now, so now I can, I can do that. And, I, and just imagine if nothing but goodness flows through us and from us. Imagine the change of your marriage your relationship with others, your work, your blood pressure, anxiety, joy, and so on, if, if goodness is flowing from us. There's many things we can pull out of Colossians 3. The last one that I'm going to address is um, what Paul addresses here. The fourth step to exercising godliness is let the peace of Christ rule in everything. The peace of God should rule like an umpire in my interior life and how I view the world around me. When I acknowledge God that he rules and reigns despite everything that's going on around us, the pandemic, the racial tensions, politics, social agendas, when I can say that God rules and reigns, then I can finally find peace in that space. And then it's going to cause me to live differently in that space. 
And sometimes we just need to slow down, stop outrunning God, and truly let him be the umpire, the official, who calls a foul a foul, sets justice before us, and truly gives me the rules for my life. I love the thought our pastor shared, I think it was decades ago, but he started with the premise that we all would acknowledge God has absolute authority over our lives. And here's what he said. He has every right then to tell me how to love. God has every right to tell me what to do with my money. God has every right to tell me what I should do with my gifts and talents. He has every right right to tell me what I should do for work or what I should not do. And he has every right to tell me where I should go and how to live a life that truly belongs to him. And when we start to see life through that lens, it helps us to walk in the pace of peace and not chaos and darkness and turmoil. And that allows me to welcome God in. His, oh, I, I welcome in his peace. And then I can nurture his revelation in my life. And when we're right, right there, when we're nurturing God's revelation, that is the place of transformation. That is truly where we grow and change. So as we go into this week, please go beyond Bob Newhart's advice. Follow Colossians 3. You can put that slide up, Neil. I had to leave you with a list because we love lists. This is Colossians 3. It is Colossians 3, your 10 steps. Seek things above. Set your mind on things above. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put them all away and focus on the unbridled passions and anger. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, On the hardest one of all, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Put on love, let the peace of Christ rule, and be thankful. Let God's word dwell in you richly. Oh, man, and do it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father God, we just love you and thank you for who you are and for every promise we hold in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help stretch us. Help us, Lord, to exercise godliness to be more like Jesus every single day. Help us to clear our calendars, everything that's in our way, Lord, everything that undermines us, Lord, to pursue Christ where Christ is. May that be so today. May that be so in the future ahead. May we love and adore you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name. Hear these words from the the last words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the the book of 2 Corinthians. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.